You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are continuing our series in the history of LCMS Black Ministry today. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. McNair Ramsey, retired pastor from Emanuel Lutheran Church in Wittenberg, Alabama. He also serves as the first vice president of the Southern District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Dr. Ramsey, welcome to The Coffee Hour. Thank you very much. It's a joy to be with you. Also joining us today, the Reverend Michael Shannon, pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. Pastor Shannon, welcome to The Coffee Hour. Thank you so much, and it's such a pleasure to be, and thank you for taking this opportunity to expand uh, our views. Dr. Ramsey, let's start with your story. Where did your Lutheran education begin? First of all, thank you again for hosting uh, this event, and I pray that uh, things go well with all of the interviews that you will be doing and that those that you have done. My education within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, and begun with the Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Camden, Alabama. That church is located only 10 miles from where Dr. Young started her mission and ministry, uh, the first Lutheran church in Alabama at Rosebud. Holy Cross Camden is located in Wilcox County, Alabama, and it is known as one of the poorest counties in Alabama. And of course, that being so, the educational system in that particular area, as well as in all of Alabama, was not really that good at that particular time. And so Holy Cross Lutheran Church had a school. And in that school is where I started in kindergarten with our doctor. With First of all, Johnny Brown was my pastor, but proud to that church had been served by quite a few Caucasian pastors of the Lutheran Church in Missouri Senate. Even Reverend Dr. Walter H. Elwanger, the president at Alabama Lutheran Academy and College when I first started there. And so I went to Holy Cross Lutheran Church and school from the kindergarten all the way up to seventh grade. And I recall that every morning, the first thing that was done, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, the first thing that was done was that we would start the day with a religion class whether it was Bible history or going through the Luther small catechism or being told and given stories about various individuals in the Bible. That was the first thing that was done for about 35 to 40 minutes each morning, Monday through Friday. And then that was capitalized with church on Sundays, as well as having various Easter programs and Christmas programs at which parents and things would just be elated just to come and hear their children to recite their, their, their roles and so forth for Easter or Christmas and telling the various stories about Jesus. And so that was my beginning at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. And then I transitioned from there in the eighth grade to Alabama Lutheran Academy and College, which later became Concordia College, Alabama, where I was taught again, eighth grade religion, first class in the morning, Religion was offered, and Dr. Rosa J. Young taught that class. What do you remember about being a student of Dr. Rosa Young? I would love to to understand what it was like to learn from such an icon in our Lutheran history. Dr. Young was a very gifted woman. There's no doubt about that at all. And she demanded respect. (laughs) If you happen to not be paying attention in her class or somehow fooling around in her class, she would come in and touch you lightly over the head with the Bible. And many of us pastors now and pastor friends and classmates of mine 
remember those moments when we were in her class and that she would get our attention by doing that to us. And of course, she was the one that not only would place her hand on the head of, of young men, but also young ladies and make the declaration that this person was going to be a pastor, that person was going to be a teacher. And in most cases, that occurred. And I guess that is the reason why many of us now church workers would try to duck and dodge to keep her from placing her hand on our heads because whatever she decreed, it was going to take place. How would you say this education that you received from Dr. Young and other faithful Lutheran teachers and pastors, how did it shape you and the community of Black Lutherans and, and other Lutherans too? Well, first of all, just being in one of the schools that she had a, a strong part in organizing and, and bringing forth. In fact, there was something like anywhere between 35 to 37 churches and schools that she planted in the Alabama area. And it was through her gifts and her teaching and the teaching that we got from our Lutheran school experiences that, for example, my parents, they were not Lutheran at first when I started in the Lutheran school system. They were Baptists. And as a result of my and my siblings going to the Lutheran schools, we encouraged our parents to also become Lutheran, and they did, and became very strong workers in the church, which was Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Camden, Alabama. And so that kind of an influence played a major role in terms of the dynamics that took place within the communities, because just about everything that occurred that was important to the community, it was happening in the church or in the school. That was the place uh, where uh, you had uh, fellowship and community gatherings. Uh, you had uh, parents that come and support their children by attending the various programs. Uh, you had the, the youth programs that were going on. You had the summer events that would take place, a vacation Bible school, all of that picnics within the church. And these parents and things were, which in a lot of cases were not Lutheran then. But because of what they saw the church doing and what the church was doing through his school for their children, they wanted to be a part of that. They loved that. And uh, many of them, in fact, I visit uh, Wilcox County on, on several occasions. And mostly every time that I'm there, some senior citizen or somebody will come up and say, I got my training. I got my education. I learned about God through that school or through that church. How did your Lutheran education shape how you would serve the church in the future? Again, with passion, with a love for people, with a desire to see people to experience what I experienced. Let me back up and say, one of Dr. Young's top phrases was, I want my people to hear and know the pure gospel. That resonated with me because as a pastor, as a in fact, I started off, first of all, as a teacher for many years in our uh, Lutheran parochial schools, both in Detroit, Michigan, uh, in uh, San Francisco, uh, California, uh, back to Detroit, and then I uh, became a professor at our college uh, here in Selma. Uh, but that whole idea of wanting and desiring people to know the truth about Jesus, which is the gospel, certainly played a role in my becoming a pastor and my desire and my people to continue the legacy that Dr. Young started with us. 
We'll meet Pastor Shannon in just a moment and learn more about his story as well. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're continuing our series in the history of LCMS Black Ministry today. Our guests are the Reverend Dr. McNair Ramsey, retired pastor from Emanuel Lutheran Church in Wittenberg, Alabama, also first vice president of the Southern District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and the Reverend Michael Shannon, pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. Pastor Shannon, we've heard Pastor Ramsey's story of how his Lutheran education shaped who he is today. Where did your Lutheran education begin? It began here in Shreveport. I think the year was 1987. Um, I grew up rural Louisiana, kind of north, central Louisiana, and uh, primarily Baptist-dominated. And it's why I'm so thankful for <laughs> this doctrine that we share now, because I ended up being 36 years old before I really heard the true gospel. I grew up in school at mostly the Sunday school and church and all, and mostly focused on the law and following the law. And I thank God I was smart enough to know that I, I wasn't going to ever be good enough to go to heaven. So I told my dad, I think I had to be about 18, 19 years old, that I wasn't going to church anymore because if God's not grading on the curve, everybody in the world's going to hell. And he didn't know what to say, but he said he understood. And so I was under the misconception that when you die, you go to hell and burn up and it's over. So I was okay with that, and I continued to live my life. At that point in time in my life, I was working as a policeman in Shreveport, and there was a young man at that church named Eddie Swift that was recruiting me to play on the police department's basketball team. And in talking to me, I guess he pretty much assumed that I was not a Christian, but he was Lutheran, and that was my introduction to the Lutheran church. And he told me I needed to be saved. And I just kind of brushed him off and said, okay, I was grateful that he cared that much for me, but... You know, what my understanding was is that I didn't have a pathway to heaven. And so my journey on the golf course one day, I met a guy and I used to go and walk because I was working at the time. I was working in narcotics where we were working undercover and we couldn't socialize with a lot of people. So I played golf by myself during the days and met a gentleman on the course who walked with me one day. And we walked around for 18 holes and he asked me if I died, where would I go? And I told him I was going to hell. And he said, you know that. I said, well, it's two places and I know one I can't go. And he said, have you ever heard that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world? I said, yeah, I've heard that. But, you know, he says, but well, don't you consider yourself to be a part of the world? And uh, in, in my testimony, I explained that the importance of the Holy Spirit being present really works things out. Because right then, my mind started to think. And he explained the road of salvation, of trusting and believing and receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, the Lutheran doctrine, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just, you know. And right there, standing in the middle of the 18th fairway, I became a Christian. <laughs> and so he didn't tell me a denomination of church to go to. He said, you need to find a church that preaches Christ crucified. 
And I didn't know what the world he was talking about. And so it took me about two weeks. When I got back to the car, I called everybody I knew. Because during that time, it had to be around 80. It was in 87, as a matter of fact. And, and those new bag phones had just come out. And, I, you know, being I in know narcotics, that. you know, we had one because we had to, had to talk. And I got on that phone and called everybody I knew. They tell me, man, I ain't going to hell. <laughs> you know, which was exciting and, and great information, but I was still lost in what to do. I didn't understand the whole thing, but I did understand that concept. Christ crucified had no idea what he was talking about, that concept. And so I sat around and I knew the churches that I wasn't going to go to because those had led me in the wrong direction. This guy said Lutheran church, and I definitely didn't know. I had been to one Lutheran church, and I thought it was Catholic, so I, I ran away from it. And so I thought about it. I know this guy, and if this guy loves me enough, that every time I saw him, he was that concerned about me. I said, I owe that church a chance. And I went to church that day, and there's a pastor that name was Preston Weatherly. He was not an African-American pastor because they were kind of few and far between at that time. When I went to church that day, and I was not accustomed to chanting and, and, and just liturgy, I, I, it was just foreign to me. I mean, I knew Catholics did it, and, and I definitely didn't want any of that. So impatiently, I sat around wondering, did I make a good choice? And he began to say, grace, peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I said, okay. And his theme was in concern with Christ crucified. And I said, oh, my goodness. And there is when I fully began to understand what the gospel is. When you put this in the framework of black history, of how important that the Lutheran church is, and even more, I think, could be, is that education is such a vital part of what it means in the black community to know about Jesus. And Lutheran churches in the South, especially in this area, I mean, we're the only black Lutheran, well, black, partially black Lutheran church in North Louisiana. And so it's a difficult situation because the education that, that was available there for Dr. Ramsey through Dr. Young is just outstanding. It's something that cannot be I'm not going to say it can't be replicated, but but it's just not there anymore. And how important education is, not just Christian education, but education within itself. That if somehow we could, we're in the process of trying to start a preschool at our church. That people, that, that these kids in the church where we are are not educated properly in in any way. And if, if they can't read, write, and spell, if they can't consciously comprehend basic concepts, Christianity is going to always be far from them. And so those, those are things that, that trouble me. Those are things that really take a, a cause in my life that, you know, it took me 30, 36 plus years to get it. But once I, I heard the gospel proclaimed, once I saw the Lutheran worship and the divine services, of how it explains everything that one would need to know to, to understand the concepts of Christianity, to know about our Lord and Savior, and that there are pathways to him, and fulfilling our lives through the law has nothing to do with it in order to have that relationship. Of course, it comes into factor through sanctification at the, after the fact, but the primary thing with me is that the understanding and the opportunity to take part in that 
So we had, before I was there, and I've had a chance to meet some of the pastors that served at that church. And Maybe. the church couldn't hardly pay them. And so most of them migrated back around the Alabama, Mississippi area to where the Rosa Young effect has such a, a, a coverage. And it goes to show how important she was, not just to the Lutheran church, but to the African-American community. Because if something had happened like that in this area, I guarantee you the intellect, the level of intellect, the level of understanding of Christianity among African-Americans would be profoundly better. So, you know, I just, I mean, even for me, I mean, I, I, I came up, I had been divorced and remarried. When I became a part of that church, I wanted, I was so excited. I wanted to do any and everything I could to serve the Lord because I was so thankful that he not only just let me live long enough to, to receive him as my Lord and Savior, but gave me an opportunity to work in his kingdom. So I could go on and on and on. And <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm a pretty humble and thankful guy. I love hearing your story. You have such an amazing story of coming into the Lutheran Church and your experiences. Tell us more about the unique history of Faith Lutheran Church in Shreveport. Well, Faith Lutheran Church came from Holy Cross and King of Kings, which were two small churches in Shreveport. This was before my time. And, and both of them were small. And Dr. Ramsey can tell you how it kills a pastor running from churches, got five in one service and 25 in the other one. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but they eventually caused them to merge and they became faith. And that was prior to me when I think I got there probably three years, four years after the merger. Five years ago, we had another church in another part of town that was predominantly white. That's the, the community had, over, had turned over and they were dying out and they decided to give us the church because they wanted a mission there. We received the church two Sundays after we received the church. The, the, I think it was about 25 of them that were left. They came to church that service, that Sunday and they joined us. And we have been a growing, prosperous congregation since, taking on many members from both races and everything is just peaches and cream. With just a couple of minutes left, uh, I want to visit some, of, some more of the history of LCMS Black Ministry during the 60s and 70s. We've taken a look at some of the eras prior to this. Dr. Ramsey, what would you say is the, the top highlight of some of the significant developments of LCMS Black Ministry during the 1960s and 70s? Well, certainly, I think, you know, it is good for us to know that there were some turbulent times that was going on not only in the, in the various parts of our nation, but also within the church. Uh, African-American was not a major part of the embodiment of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, during that particular time. The portion of the church that we belong to was called, and I'm sure you've heard this from others, the Synodical Conference of the Church. And uh, to me and to many of the, the African-American pastors, that was a way of practicing segregation. And what I would certainly recommend, and I know it perhaps had been recommended before, that there be a, a, a list of texts that can be read that will reflect what kinds of things the African-American Lutheran churches and the pastors were going through during that particular time. And that's the book that was written by Dr. Richard Dickerson, Roses and Thorns. And I was just reading through that a few days ago and looking at some of the resolutions that had been recommended by various committees of that organization of, of black 
pastors and so forth, particularly during the time of the 50th anniversary of the start of the churches in terms of North Carolina. His book highlights not only the, the beauty and the good, but also the bad and the ugly, the ugliness of our church during that particular time. I grew up around many of the senior pastors of the Lutheran Church during that particular time, such as Reverend John T. Skinner, Reverend Dr. Richard Dickinson, Reverend Dr. Peter Hunt, Reverend Dr. Joseph Lavillet, Reverend Dr. Albert Dominic, and all of these individuals, they were not necessarily granted honorary doctorate degrees, but they most of them had earned their doctorates. But the church was not making use of the talents and the gift of African Americans during that particular time, particularly in the, well, certainly in the 40s, 50s, and the early 60s. I recall the first group of African American females who were accepted to complete their education at Concordia, Nebraska. That was Jane, Jane Glover out of New Orleans, Louisiana, Marjorie Madison, and Maddie Anderson out of Mobile, Alabama, when they first left to go to that particular college. And then, of course, several of us followed them to Nebraska. Myself, Reverend Dr. James P. Brown, Reverend Frank Marshall, Reverend Alma Marshall, Reverend Dr. Jujus Jenkins, who later became the president of Concordia College here in Alabama. And we were some of the first individuals to engage with the Caucasian Americans on that particular campus. Dr. Jenkins and I even roomed with six other Caucasians scattered throughout the United States as roommates living in the basement of the Prognaz on Coltimore Street in Seward, Nebraska. I am sure that it was just as challenging to those six Caucasian Americans as it was you know, to us Alabamians being in the company and surrounded by the Caucasian Americans that were our roommates at that particular time. But we became some of the best of friends and still are today. Uh, many of them became pastors, and if they didn't be pastors, they were teachers or they worked in the Synodical uh, Headquarters office there in St. Louis. Ron Nelson, for instance, was one of those persons. Louis Velko, who became a pastor. Gordy Rico, who became a pastor. Paul Johnson, I think he became a teacher. And of course, Dr. Jenkins and I, we became pastors as well as teachers. But those experiences, in fact, I, I often ask the Lord, why did he put me in such situations like that? Only later on in life did I come to understand that he was preparing me to sit at the table with all brothers uh, of our church and make contributions and suggestions and ideas that would be taken under consideration and passed to help further the unity between our churches and our schools. W within the various circular areas, Many of our pastors scattered all over the United States during the marches that took place throughout the land. Those Lutheran, African-American pastors and Caucasian pastors would come together. And I recall as a student at Selma, many of them using the campus at Concordia Selma, which was Alabama Lutheran Academy and College at that time. They used that campus for their dress and preparation for them to go downtown and take part in the civil rights marches. Uh, that took place uh, in downtown Selma. Uh, of course, one of the major things, and it's still celebrated today, is called Bloody Sunday. Bloody Sunday is the 
event that took place to cross across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and uh, the celebration of that or the honoring of that, not only historic event, but a tragic event will take place on March uh, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of this year. In fact, next month. The whole idea of people thinking and anticipating that it was okay to bomb churches where young children were involved in Sunday school classes to keep people from voting and the nation from honoring it had written as its guide, namely the Constitution, that all men, women, people are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So I look at a lot of those things, and I've even written a book to utilize my time during COVID. And the book is called, I Don't Want to Be the President, Worthy American People Listening. It relates to the kinds of things that require us as Christian individuals to really think about who we are, who we represent, and who we want to follow in our footsteps and the kinds of things that we say and do to be of help and strength to those individuals that are up and coming. Pastor Shannon, reflecting on what Dr. Ramsey has said, how do you see the unrest that happened during this period of time shape Black ministry in your perspective and in your experiences? Well, in those times, the church was a central place for people of color to go because during the time I grew up, the big power in the African-American community was principals of the high school, which is what my father was, and the pastors of the churches. So the people pretty much followed where the church led them to go, where everybody would assemble. I can't imagine what it had to be like to be where Dr. Ramsey was with, with Dr. Young at an age and a time that even now we need that. Our education is so vital. And during those times, anytime you interfere and interrupt with a generation's learning, it has just trickled down effect. And we're seeing now that our church right now is just right in the middle of a highly populated apartment complex where mostly African-Americans live, young people. And their, the level of intellect, education, and success among them is extremely low. And it's hard to reach children when their parents are not educated. And so education to me is one of the biggest hurdles that we have in black ministry in order to reach the people and to get the children. We get children, process them through, and we get them through confirmation. And I bet you we only retain about a tenth of them. It's, it's just because the education, the understanding, and that with, of their parents and that of their grandparents. And it's that trickle down. <laughs> and, and you go back into the 60s. I know growing up, I was blessed that I had educated parents on the intellectual side. Most of my classmates right now don't understand the gospel. People I grew, grew up with, went to school with, I still have contact with a lot of them because it was lacking. Most of them didn't have fathers in the home. I had both. And so I was extremely blessed and gifted, but the Christian education side of it was lacking because the pastors were not adequately trained. And so I was held captive by the Lutheran doctrine in that it really simplified everything in, in, in leading us to Christ. And then this was kept away from us because to be able to reason is important. I got a five-year-old golden retriever, and I guarantee you he can reason because I spend time with him. <laughs> because I love him and I show him that I love him. We adopted a little girl that was nine years old 
in a family of people that lived, it was eight people lived in a house about 900 square feet. And she's 20, she made 20 years last, she made 20 years old last month. Nobody else in her family are successful. Nobody. She's in her second year in, in nursing school right now. And it just shows what the opportunity that she had that the rest of them didn't have in this day and night. Although they grew up in the church, it, it's nothing sustaining. She's in the church now and everywhere you look, she's there. She works with the choir. She works with the video and just what, whatever needs to be done, she's there. If something is going on, she thinks I need to know. I turn my, everything off on my phone and I lay it on the pulpit because I know something's not right. She's going to text me and let me know. But these are things through love and education <laughs> is where it happens. Without getting that out, where my church is, these people are two or three lifespans away from understanding the gospel because they are not educated. They don't have good jobs. They're in poverty. So having a Christian life is really not attractive to them because they're just trying to live. And it's a tough thing, you know, to fix that you look back at. And when Dr. Ramsey was there with, with Dr. Young, that's eons ahead of where we are now. And I grew up doing segregation as well. But it's, the care still has to be there, the parental care, the directions of, of people bring. I got a confirmation class now who parents are directly involved in it. And I'm pretty sure these kids are going to be there because their understanding, they are younger than any class I've ever had, and their understanding is higher. It's because if they have parents, educated parents, who care and bring them to church and teach them God's word away from church. And that's important. In, in, in our culture, that's, that's not the thing. It's just the Baptist church has the loud singing, the great musicians, and, 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 and all this stuff that, that goes on that's attractive to people. And, and they go. But nobody can serve it up like we do. I, I'm firmly believing in that. But we have the hardest time getting people to sit at the table with us. With just about 30 seconds left, Pastor Ramsey. Yeah, you know, on, on page 27 of Dr. Richard Dickinson's book, This I Remember, he talks about the organization of the Black Clergy Caucus. And that organization is to do exactly what Pastor uh, Shannon has indicated to basically educate our Lutheran people, all of the Lutheran people, in terms of what African-American pastors, teachers, church members, congregations can offer to the church as a whole. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. McNair Ramsey, retired pastor from Emanuel Lutheran Church, Wittenberg, Alabama, also first vice president of the Southern District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Dr. Ramsey, thank you so much for being our guest today. God bless you. And the Reverend Michael Shannon, pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. Pastor Shannon, thank you so much for being our guest. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org slash store.